Hey, Brent. How's hey, Tori. Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I had a fantastic day at work today. How are, how was your day? Oh man, my 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 day was great. Well, tell me about yours. What happened? I sold the uh, twelve life insurance policies today. Oh my god! The best day. I think that's the best day I've had all all year, all of 2022. My wow. personal best. So, and it it feels good to have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Well, what yeah. what do you attribute your success to? Um, what do they say? Trust the process. Uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I had some not so great days. So it feels good to to just you know keep on grinding and have it have it pay off. So. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So did you make a couple of tweaks here and there to your presentation? Um, yeah, I've, tr I've been trying to follow directions. That's Oh, okay. <laughs> it's crazy when you use the script, how it works, you know? Uh, that's right. So you're <laughs> normally the rebellious type, but you decided to give it a, give it the old college try. I'm just, just trying to be more disciplined and, uh, um, you know, stick to, stick to the path, the well-worn path. Oh, okay. Um, so, so that's been working for me. Well, good, good. And yeah. I understand that you recently moved into a different uh, kind of a specialty team. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit of a different specialty. So working um, with um, selling insurance policies to people kind of more like myself and um, similar age bracket um, and income level, uh, health status. Um, so uh, it makes the conversation a lot smoother. And then, you know, over time, I'm sure. I'm sure you've all experienced this too. We each get more equipped in our own specialty. Right, um, right. Yeah. How's, how's, how's that going for you? Yeah, well, um, I, it's going great. You know, have more opportunity to uh, sell not only term life, but also uh, to be able to sell final expense as well and work with uh, some brokers and help them uh, get their clients some coverage that they need. So, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of great success too. I think I had uh, one of my best days yesterday was uh, pretty exciting. You know, on a Wednesday? Isn't that crazy? Whoa. Wednesday's yeah. slow day. I know. I know. And uh, so, you know, I remember asking uh, my boss, I said, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm willing. Do I need to start working Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday? What do we need to do? You know, because it was slower on those weekdays like you're talking about. And he was like, no. He's like, uh, just like you said, he said, trust the process. It's going to be awesome. So just keep the same shift. So I decided to keep my same shift. And uh, so Sunday through Thursday and uh, daytime hours. And that way I don't, you know, jeopardize and losing your, the whole. Keep your sanity. I think. There you go. Yeah. 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 You don't want to, you got to have that equal uh, work-life balance, you know, don't want to jeopardize the family for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. now it's thir Thursday night. Uh, so one of it my favorite is. nights. It and is. You, you seem uh, you seem like you're awfully dressed up for our podcast recording. What's what's going oh, on? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, boy, you look so much better than I do. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to get all spiffied up, you know, but uh, um, I love your uh, your background, by the way. Boy, that's really um that's really an amazing background there. And uh, tonight, uh, tonight, folks, we've got an amazing episode for you. Uh, as, as you know, we've got the Academy Awards coming up on the 27th. Everybody's excited. Uh, that's going to be Sunday, March 27th at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood. And, uh, Which and this is, will... that's my background, the Dolby Theater, right? Yeah, here. very cool. Yeah. Very cool. 
I'm so jealous. And uh, and it will be televised live in more than 200 territories worldwide. And uh, before we kick things off with our picks, I would like to mention some cool trivia about the Oscars, if you don't mind, Tori. And Please. then, yeah, and then we can delve into, um, I believe today we're going to delve into nine of the 24 categories and give all of you our personal picks and why we think each of those picks will be the winner. And the first piece of trivia that I have for you, Tori, is who is the only actor to win three Best Actor Oscars? Uh, I think it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Wow. Are you that right? traditionally, are you, are you good at trivia traditionally? Um, I'm okay. You're okay. <laughs> I'm very wow. inconsistent. That's my <laughs> blessing and curse as a trivia player. Is it well, Daniel Day-Lewis? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, nice. very good. Very good. Okay. Let's see if she can keep track with this wonderful trivia here, folks. Okay. The second piece of trivia, which film has won the most awards ever? Um, the Godfather. Nope, not The Godfather. Um, but I will say that it's actually, um, after nine decades of Academy Award ceremonies, the most Oscars won by a film is still 11. And that long-held record is shared by three iconic movies, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, 2003, Titanic, mm -hmm. 1997, and Ben-Hur, 1959. But very good, very good answer, Tori. And the third piece, um, who would you say is the most awarded actress of all time? The most awarded actress? Mm -hmm. um, Catherine Hepburn. Oh my gosh, you got it right. You're yeah. right. Yes, Catherine Hepburn, she holds the records for the most wins with 12 nominations and four wins for Morning Glory 1933 Wow, that goes way back, doesn't it? Guess Who's <laughs> Coming to Dinner, 1967. The Lion in Winter, 1968. And On Golden Pond, 1981. Do you remember, did you ever see any of those? Actually, yeah, actually, um, at the beginning of COVID, my roommate and I would do uh, movie movie nights. And there was one, um, one night where we watched uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and then Guess Who, the, the Jordan Peele movie that came out. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool. They're both great movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the only one that I um, I remember seeing out of that one is On Golden Pond from 1981. And uh, funny story about that. Um, me and a, a friend of mine back in high school, um, I, we found this place. We used to go on these uh these little excursions out on the weekends and we would try to get lost and then the other person would try to find our way back. But anyway, uh, we found this place and it had this huge hill. It goes down like this and then back up like this. And he had my friend Ben, he had a Honda Accord, like a 1987 Honda Accord, something like that. And he decided he was going to do the Dukes of Hazard on this thing. And he would, he <laughs> came down this big hill and he didn't know there was a berm at the bottom. And we literally flew up in the air. Uh, and then landed, but we called that place on Golden Pond because it had um, water on each side. Uh, yeah. But we always called it on Golden Pond. So, um, but yeah, very very cool movie. I remember watching that when I was growing up. And guess who's awesome. coming to dinner now? Was that the one with uh, was it Sydney 
Portier? Was he in that Portier? one? Portier? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Got it right. And then, okay. So now the fourth piece of trivia, mm -hmm. who has won best actor twice? Um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. No, don't have Tom Hanks in here, but I will say that nine actors have won oh, the best actor. <laughs> Oscar twice, Spencer Tracy for Captains Courageous of 1937 and Boys Town 1938, Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront 1954 and The Godfather 1972, Gary Cooper for Sergeant York 1941 and High Noon 1952. And the fifth piece of trivia, what movie has been nominated for the most Oscars? Um, the Departed. Nope. The movie that uh, with the most Oscar nominations in the world as of 2021 is Jane Cameron's 1997 blockbuster Titanic, having been nominated for an Academy Award 14 times. And the sixth piece of trivia, has a movie ever won Best Actor and Best Actress? No. Actually, only three films have won the top five awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. It Happened One Night, 1934. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975. And The Silence of the Lambs, 1991. Mm. All right. And now the seventh piece of trivia. What male actor has won the most Oscars? Um... Robert De Niro. Not Robert De Niro, but um, since its inception, the award has been given to 83 actors and Daniel Day-Lewis has won the most. He's won three. Spencer Tracy and Laurence Olivier were nominated a record nine times. Peter O'Toole is the most nominated actor in this category without a single win. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now the eighth piece of trivia, which leading actress won an Oscar with the least amount of screen time? Michelle Williams. No, not Michelle Williams. It was Judy Dench, Shakespeare in Love, 1998. And guess how much that screen time was? Four minutes. It was really close, really close. It was actually five minutes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, well, I, I said Michelle Williams because she won. I don't remember what year it was a couple of years ago, but she won supporting actress for her performance in Manchester by the sea. Mm -hmm. She's on there for, have you seen that movie? I haven't. You, as you should, it's a cry fest, but it's okay. amazing. Um, but she's on screen for a very, very short amount of time, but it's amazing. And she won an Oscar. And, wow. um, but she, like her scene is just like, full of emotion and um, amazing performance, even though she's only, she's only in the movie for a couple of minutes in total. Oh, wow. But more than five, I guess. More than five. I guess it was a pretty <laughs> close race. Yeah. I'll definitely have to, to see that one. I do like Michelle Williams. She's been in quite a few things that I've seen. And so as far as um, this role uh, for Judy Dench, uh, this role remains her only Oscar win to date, which makes it even more of a big deal since Dench has delivered many other more significant performances. And the ninth piece of trivia, uh, Tori, this one is a little foreshadowing into the next podcast episode. 
Mm. All right. And the question is, has a remake ever won an Oscar? Um, well, we talked about how in the last episode, I think, about how The Departed was a remake. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say yes. You're exactly right. Only one remake has ever been awarded Best Picture. Martin Scorsese's The Departed, 2006. Again, like you mentioned in the last episode, adapted from the Hong Kong crime thriller, Internal Affairs. And last but not least, Tori, the 10th fun fact, who is the youngest male to win a Best Actor award? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I know these are um, tough questions, right? Tough questions. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. Oh, that's a good guess. Um, it was actually Adrian Brody made history as the youngest Best Actor winner ever at the 75th Academy Awards. And by the way, Tori, how old, do you really, know how old he was? Um, hmm. He had to be, that was what, 21 years ago? Is that right? I just saw, I just saw a movie that he was in where he was, um, he was a garbage man, but then apparently he had this secret life before and, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of crazy things happened and, um, he came back to uh, get revenge on people. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, if it was, if it was, I don't know how old he was. That was twenty nine. Okay, twenty nine. That's not that young. I feel like yeah. women have won Oscars at like fourteen. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe we'll have to double, double check that for sure. Well, now I have. No, a, I think it's right. I think it's just um, the patriarchy. But whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, fun fact. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, I'm not good at Trivial Pursuit, so don't feel bad um, if you had. Uh, pulled this uh, trick on me, uh, I would have failed completely. <laughs> so <laughs> you did a great job. You did a great job. Thank you. Um, I have one last question. Sure. Um, now, you know, it's, this is all about the Oscars. How much is an Oscar statue officially worth? Man, are they made out of gold? Um, $100. Would you believe that they're only worth $1? Well, yeah. What do you mean? Like the cost of materials to make them is one dollar. So, as far as the Academy Awards are concerned, the Oscar statuette is worth roughly the same as a small bag of Funyuns. Ugh, Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like uh, Funyuns either. You know, <laughs> uh, I, that's what that's what I found out. I just thought that was crazy. I mean, you know, all of this hype for an Oscar and it's only worth a dollar. I in fact I heard that Michael Jackson bought an Oscar one time. I think we'll have to It's not. I mean they're not worth a, they're not worth their material. They're worth the significance of the award. That's right. That that's right. I, I but after you win it you could you know if um uh if Daniel Day Lewis ever wants to make some money he can probably sell a couple of his Oscars for that's true. <laughs> more yeah. than a dollar. Right, right. I know they would go for a lot more than that. Okay, yeah. folks. Well, so now we're going to jump right into the meat and the potatoes of the show. And the first category that we're going to look wait, at. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. I have a fun fact. Uh-oh. Sure. Okay. Um, so, Brent, do you like watching the Oscars? Is that something you enjoy doing? Yeah. You make mm -hmm. a night of it? 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I do too. Um, did you know that there there are um, they're gonna have hosts this year at the Oscars? You're kidding. They've never um, had hosts before, right? <laughs> they have, but they actually uh, haven't had a host since the year 2018. Um, do you remember who that the last host was? Hmm. I don't. Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, okay. Um, I don't remember what happened in 2019. Somebody, whoever was supposed to, I think it was uh, James Franco was supposed to, I think. But it was somebody who was like caught up in a scandal and then they had to panic. Oh, and they okay. were like, actually, we don't need a host anymore. So um, the hosts this year are Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Um, three women who I really love. Um, especially Amy Schumer. Um, I'm obsessed with her. And I, can, I cannot wait to see how it goes. Um, and I, I think I like how, I mean, I think it was cool what they did without a host, but I like having a host. I feel like it's more traditional. And with yeah. the three of them, I think they'll do a good job. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm excited to see the show they put on. Me um, too. Me too. And I also just want to share my personal experience with the Oscars. Um, okay. When I was 16, my family did a family vacation to LA and um, it's like one of the best, one of the best vacations we've ever done. And um, uh, we just like, we just went, we just had like, my parents had the money for the plane tickets. They wanted to do a fun vacation to a new place. And it was, um, you know, February or March. And, um, and so we just went to LA, we did universal. We saw the Hollywood sign. We went to the beach. And then we went to the Walk of Fame and they were setting up for the Oscars. And so like, so like this scene uh, back then, the Dolby Theater was called the Kodak Theater. Uh, So they were like literally like construction guys coming in with these Oscar statues and putting them up and people were rolling out the red carpet um, and and setting up and we we got to see it all. And then um, I think we left on like a Friday and then the Oscars were on Sunday. Um, but it was very, very cool to see. And it just like, felt like we were like so close to, to the action. Um, and what I remember from that day or from that trip is that there was like, like, it was a news story, like a national news story, how bad the weather in LA was. And, um, so we were really disappointed because we were like, this is supposed to be our best trip ever. And this was going to be ruined because the weather's so bad. And we were coming from Michigan and we got there and uh, it was like, so nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, nice, so nice compared to what we were coming from. And I was like, there's just like a, there's like a little bit of rain and there like still is several hours of sun every day. And this is national news that the weather in LA is terrible. Um, so I don't know. It was just really funny because we were, we were like, there's um, seven inches of snow on the ground at home, but uh <laughs> so it was it was really funny. So I would love to go back and see at what LA is like in all its glory. Oh yeah, I mean, just imagine all of the everything that they have to put into it to to make it just perfect on the night of. The amazing amount of work to put into it. Mm-hmm. I um I haven't had a, a you know a situation like that where uh, I saw the uh, the rolling out of the red carpet for the Academy Awards, but um, one time we. Uh, uh, Melissa and I went to Hawaii, and um, we had we had no idea. The last night that we were there, uh, we were in Honolulu, and um, we saw this. Uh, we were going to go out to watch the fireworks, and and we actually saw um, a red carpet event 
out there and we saw the signs and it was actually um, like for uh, the TV show Lost. Did you yeah. ever watch that one? Uh -huh. And so they, so I got to see a little bit of the red carpet for that, but uh, you know, and and see some of the uh, actors and actresses uh, for Lost. What it, it was so cool to be there uh, for a short time. I think we had a red eye out of uh, Honolulu that night, so we we uh, it was a great last night there. But what Very an exciting cool. what an exciting time! And you were sixteen at that time, is that right? I was sixteen. Yeah. Wow, first man, back. that's so awesome. Well, when are you going? I don't know. Don't know? <laughs> yeah. You got a crew of friends that would go with you? I think so. Yeah. I saw that you're excited about a concert coming up. This um it's got what um Machine Gun Kelly and April Levine, is that right? Uh well, Brent, it's Avril. Um, oh, 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 Avril. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, tickets go on sale tomorrow morning. I'm going. Um, oh. Some of my some of my high school friends and I are going. Um, going to check it out. We're in the Detroit Detroit show. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm pretty stoked. Um, I wish I could just tell 12 year old me that I was going to get to go sing see Avril sing Skater Boy. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Because <laughs> it's going to be pretty pretty cool. Well, you know, somebody needs to invent that time machine, you know? I don't know what's taking so long, but make things a lot easier, right? We yeah. could go back in time and, and create those memories. Yeah. Well, well, good. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, and uh, so so we've got an amazing show for you here. And, and Tori, I just want to make sure, uh, because we talked about a couple of different ways that we wanted to do this, um, is the first one that we want to talk about the best actor? Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actor. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All so right. the nominees for Best Supporting Actor are Kieran Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotsper for Coda, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee also for The Power of the Dog. What do you think, Brent? Who's going to win? Well... I, you know, I was thinking I might. I, do you want me to go first? Are you sure? Um, sure. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Okay. Hey, I can go first. That's no problem. Okay. Sure. okay so the reason that I think that Troy Kotzer is going to win um, is because he's already well on his way, having already won the SAG, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and other honors on his way to an Oscar nomination for the much-loved movie that is also a strong Best Picture contender. Kotzer is a veteran stage actor, having worked with many different companies, including National Theater of the Deaf and Deaf West. In 2001, he appeared in the Los Angeles and Broadway revivals of the Tony-winning musical Big River and has worked in film and TV roles, as well as a director for movies and stage. And at nine months old, his parents discovered that he was deaf, but that hasn't stopped him from pursuing his dreams and serving an as an inspiration for others in the deaf community to pursue theirs. Kotzer took home the 2022 SAG Award for Outstanding Performance by Male Actor in a Supporting Role category for CODA. This marked a monumental milestone as he was the first deaf person to win an individual award in the ceremony's history. 
In his acceptance speech, he not only thanked his family and fellow cast members, but he showed his appreciation for Apple TV Plus for their support and access with burned-in closed captioning and providing ASL interpreting services. He additionally expressed his gratitude towards the company for believing in deaf actors and casting them authentically as actors who happen to be deaf. Hmm. So I'm excited to hear Tori. What would be what would who do you think is going to win? Um, well, no, that's interesting that you mentioned Apple um, because this definitely um, I think Apple is finally catching up with some of the other streaming services this year, like um, with Netflix and even even Prime. Um, but I also think that Troy Kotzer is going to win. Um, I liked all of these performances. Um, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily blown away by any of them, ex except for except for his uh, Troy Kotzer's in Coda. Uh, I think they're all good, uh, but I definitely think um, that that this one is the only one that I'd venture to call great. Um, and even with him, I I honestly think he only wins by a nose. Um, but the character that he plays in Coda is just like so beautifully complex of this father trying to provide for his family. And he's kind of a tough guy, but he has these um, obvious weaknesses um, that he has to cope with. And, um, you know, the story, how that plays out in his relationship with his daughter is very powerful. Um, and he just plays, I think, the nuance of all of that so well. And so I think that's going to get him the win. Um, but I mean, I would acknowledge that J.K. Simmons as William Frawley in um, being the Ricardos, amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, his take on that. Um, and um, yeah, I just, you know, re seeing that character reimagined um, in like kind of a gruff, mean way, but but like you still see his soul and heart. Uh, I thought that was well done. Um, I did learn in my research, though, that J.K. Simmons is an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So I'm like, you're out buddy. Um, and, um, and then the other, uh, I think, uh, he won a golden globe, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, um, uh, for power of the dog. And I thought he had a really good performance as well. Um, and you know, he's a, a pretty young actor. So I think he showed that he has a lot of potential, um, and even brought a lot to this role. Um, but I still think that, that Troy Kotzberg is going to be the winner here. Well, that's cool. I, I didn't know we we uh, both chose the same one. That's really cool. I, I really enjoyed that movie. That was an amazing movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. I cried. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. Um, and then what? Uh, what's the next selection that we want to look at? So Best Supporting Actress. Okay. And the nominees are Jessie Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench from Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and Anjanou Ellis for King Richard. All right. Okay. And what do you, you want to go Fred? first this time? Okay, sure. <laughs> All, right. All right. So my pick, this was this was a tough one to choose because it's like the one I want to win and the who I think is gonna win are not necessarily the same, and I wasn't sure what to do. But I'm telling you the one I want to win in hopes that she actually will win. Uh, so I picked uh, Anjanou Ellis uh, for King Richard. Um, she's she's another one who she's only in a few scenes, um, but she's just a scene stealer in all of those scenes that she's in. And I really appreciated um, her character's perspective in that story. Just kind of she kind of like like uh, bore the bore the brunt of a lot of a lot of the stress uh, that was happening um, in that family. Um, and then when she gets the, her, her time to shine, I just feel like she, she expresses so, so much so well. Um, so I was really moved, um, 
by her performance. And I hope that she gets uh, to be celebrated for the work that she uh, did there. Um, so that's my pick. Um, also a lot of buzz uh, for Kirsten Dunst um, because this is her first time ever being nominated for an Oscar, even though she's been around like forever. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, but her character in Power of the Dog, I thought was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> like there's a, like there's a very quiet strength that she pulls off very well, but it's also a main theme of that movie that her character is an alcoholic. And it's, it felt, oh, that portion of it almost felt kind of like cartoonish to me. And so I didn't really like that. So I don't think that she'll win. I'm happy she's nominated because I think she's a great actress and I hope that she does win someday, but I don't think this is going to be it. Um, okay. And then the one that I think everyone, the one is that's the favorite is Ariana DeBose uh, for West Side Story. Um, and look, she is great. She's great in this movie. <laughs> um, but... Um, so, you know, and she just, I mean, she's, I think, probably a standout performance in the West Side Story um, movie. Um, and actually, it's a uh, fun fact is that uh, actress named Rita Moreno actually won Best Supporting Actor for playing the same character, Anita, back in the 1961 version. Um, so she's got a lot going in her favor, but I still am rooting for Anjanou Ellis. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised because I remember uh, when we talked about um, King Richard a while back that I, I remember you not being too impressed with the film back then. So I yeah. guess things changed. Did you watch it again and have a kind of a different outlook? No, I just think I think that Will Smith was overly celebrated and I think Anjanou Ellis wasn't celebrated very much at all. Okay. That's my right. take on it. I do well, think hey, it's that's... a good movie. I do think it's a good movie. I don't think it's best picture material, but right, right, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I never would have guessed. Well, that's yeah. interesting, and um, you, you know, um, the uh, the choice that I that I think, uh, you know, uh, best supporting actress, I think that um, uh, Ariana DeBose uh, could soon find herself a part of a very elite club. And if she wins, like you mentioned, she'll join Rita Marino for winning an Oscar for playing the same role. Like you said, Marino won Best Supporting Actress in 1962 for the part. And actors winning an Oscar for playing the same role in different films is rare, but it does happen. In fact, Marlon Brando won Best Actor for playing Vito Corleone in 1972's The Godfather, while Robert De Niro won Best Supporting Actor two years later for portraying him in The Godfather Part Two. Heath Ledger posthumously award Best Supporting Actor in 2009 for playing the Joker in The Dark Knight, and in 2020, Joaquin Phoenix was honored for playing the part by winning Best Actor for Joker. Now, Du Bois boldly put her own stamp on the beloved character using elements that were essentially her own. In an interview with The Times, she said that during the audition process, she told a room with, a, with large names such as Spielberg and screenwriter Tony Kushner in it, I'm Afro-Latina, and that would inform everything about this character by virtue of how she would walk through her community. If you're not interested in exploring that, you shouldn't hire me. And Tony was like, Okay, let's go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so, cool. I wouldn't be mad if she won. Um, but and she does um I, I think she's has the best performance in West Side Story for sure. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Did you hear the drama about West Side Story and the Oscars this year? Mm -mm. 
Okay. Well, let me tell you. So Rachel Zegler, who plays Maria, the lead um, in the, in West Side Story, apparently she didn't even get invited to the Oscars, which oh. I don't know if it's an oversight. I haven't gotten an explanation. I've been and I've been I've been following the story. All right. I haven't got an explanation for like, did it get lost in the mail? Was it an oversight? Um, it's like I think it's her first big movie and she's pretty young. She's like 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe she didn't, maybe she really didn't get an invite, but anyway, she posted about it on Instagram that she's not going to, she's going to be watching the Oscars in her, from her couch in her pajamas because she didn't get invited. And then mm. everybody freaked out. And then the Oscars, the Oscar people invited her to be a presenter. This all happened like within the last couple of days, oh, wow. they asked her to be a presenter, but she's right now in London shooting, um, a Snow White, uh, live action Snow White for Disney. Um, so production on that movie has stopped and they are flying her from London to LA for the weekend. Um, hundreds of people <laughs> working on that movie have to stop work for several days so she can come and do this and then she's going to fly back wow. all because of somebody, somebody probably got fired for this, oh, but she didn't man. get invited. And so they're trying to, they, they're trying to, you know, they asked her to be a presenter, I think, as an apology for not inviting her. And yeah. Anyway, drama. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you think, you know, I mean, it's crazy to have that kind of schedule to think about flying back and forth overseas like that. And then being prepared to be able to be a presenter and then not having what happened affect her and still, you know, do that, mm-hmm. do that performance as if nothing ever happened. How do you think yeah. they do stuff like that? I don't know. They're actors, right? <laughs> they <laughs> she's she's going to act composed. <laughs> right, act right, yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to watch and see if there's like a, like a, if her eye is twitching a little bit or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what do we want to look at next? Next category is the best animated feature film. And the okay. nominees are Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, and Rhea and the Last Dragon. All right. All good selections. What do you think's gonna gonna win? Um, I don't have a lot to say about this. I think Encanto is gonna win, hands down. It's also the only one that I've seen, but <laughs> um mm-hmm. I I liked it a lot. Um it's but I, I just, from what I've heard and read, um, there's just no contest, and Canto's going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I think. Um, uh, and Canto, based on uh, Disney's animated film, based on Colombian culture, was one of the few reasons to return to theaters in 2021. With a gross of $216 million, Encanto was a success in the last half of the year. The film has already won a Golden Globe in the category of Best Animated Film and has many excited about the possibility of winning an Oscar. And so the Oscar, like you said, is practically guaranteed for Encanto. Why? Well, it's because of uh, there's a, this little thing called the Disney Pixar Monopoly on animation. And the category of best animated film in which Encanto will undoubtedly compete is one of the youngest at the Oscars. 
It has only existed since the year 2000. However, within this category, there is a monopoly that perhaps you are not aware of. Since the award exists, Disney or Pixar have won it practically every year. Only six times have they been defeated, in 2001 for Shrek, in 2002 for Spirited Away, in 2005 for Wallace and Gromit, Battle of the Vegetables, in 2006 for Happy Feet, in 2011 for Rango, and 2018 for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Hmm. This may sound like a lot, but keep in mind, Disney has won this category 12 times in the last 14 years. This year, the competition is much weaker. Of the Disney films, Charm could compete against Luca, which for a long time was only available on Disney+, and Raya and the Last Dragon, a film that did not have much impact. Another possible competitor, uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines, but this last film only came out on Netflix, a fact that considerably impacts its chances of winning the Oscar. So that's what I have uh, in my uh, pick here. And um, are we? what would be the next selection that we would like to look at? Next category is Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. And the nominees are Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter, and Power of the Dog. All right. Who wants to go first? You're up, Brent. Okay. All right. Well, for best adapted screenplay, the best way that I can explain this is by asking the question, what makes a good adapted screenplay? And mm -hmm. so adapting a screenplay from a novel, it's not an easy task. It requires the writer to create new content and dialogue for scenes that are missing from the film. The adaptation of any work should maintain the original intent the meaning and the integrity of its source material while also giving readers something new. And another thing that I looked into was what makes a successful adaptation. Now, it could be the dynamic characters, real or figurative magic, heart-wrenching relationships, the fascinating settings, or the theme behind it all. To make a good adaptation, writers and directors must be dedicated to celebrating that essence, the core of the book. And for this reason, my pick would be Coda. Coda took home two awards at the SAG Awards, each one being historic. And uh, just to give a little bit of insight of why film adaptation is important, watching a film based on someone else's interpretation of a popular story allows you to consider the attitudes and the perspectives of others, encouraging um, uh, your inner child to analyze the film and reflect on the differences to the original story and therefore um, encourage the development of uh, social skills. And I just want to share my my kind of personal experience of watching CODA. Um, I remember uh, my mom actually came over uh, and um, we, uh, we were trying to look for a good family movie to watch. And of course, you know, uh, kids are kids. They 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 go in the room and they do their own thing, you know. And we tried to get everybody to come in there, but I mean, I had I had seen previews for the movie Coda, and I just hadn't I hadn't seen it. But I, I knew that I wanted to see it, and I was surprised that it was on one of the many. Um, you know, I don't I forget which one we watched it on. We have so Apple. many of them. It was okay. It's it was a, Apple. It's, yeah, it's that's an right. Apple that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. It is an Apple original, um, and so we watched it on that, 
And uh, man, I mean, I was just, I was just blown away. I was, I was, I just couldn't believe it. It's such a great, such a great movie. And I mean, I was, I was, it was just hilarious. Uh, you know, the, uh, just the whole thing. And then of course, you know, I, I was tearing up and, and everything. So, I mean, I just, I was so, it was such an emotional deal. And sometimes movies just have that emotional uh, impact on us. And uh, this one really, uh, really did for me. Awesome. Awesome. Movie. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I also like Coda. Um, I don't think it's going to win. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, uh, uh, I think actually do, you know, you were talking about the challenges of taking an original source and then adapting it for the screen. I bet writing the script for Dune was a freaking nightmare because <laughs> even when we did the episode where we talked about Dune, I was like, there's so much going on. I don't even know how to distill this into a summary. Um, so, uh, props to whoever uh, wrote the screenplay for Dune. Um, but I don't think they're going to win. I think Power of the Dog is going to win. Um, I think tradi I think traditionally, so sometimes the Oscar awards are kind of dispersed, um, you know, throughout different, a bunch of different movies. Um, I'd say more often than not, there's usually one movie that kind of dominates. Um, and I think that the Power of the Dog is going to be that movie this year. Um, and I think, I think that it's going to win uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, just, you know, I think there is a lot of, you know, I know I made fun of Kirsten Dunst earlier, but, uh, I just think there's a lot of rich, uh, character development. There's a lot of nuance to the characters that is, it, you know, sort of on display in this very unique, uh, place. And they kind of take us into that world, um, in Montana in that movie. Um, and then just all of these different, um, characters and the way that they interact with each other, um, and especially the way they all interact with Kirsten Dunst, I think, um, I think that the way that that is shown um, is just very powerful. And so I think that, I think that it's going to win um, for uh, for this category. However, uh, one of those things where it was like my my heart, well, the one I think is going to win and the one I kind of want to win are not the same. Um, just special acknowledgement to Maggie Gyllenhaal because I feel like she did a really good job on um, on uh, the Lost Daughter. Um, and then whenever there's a writer director, I just think it's really cool. Cause I, I imagine there's like so much, uh, just so much like vision, creative vision that you have if you write and direct a movie. Um, and so, I mean, that's true for, um, Jane Campion with power of the dog and then also Maggie Gyllenhaal and the lost daughter, but just like the way she took this story, that's, it's literally a foreign story. I think it's written in Italian or something and, um, uh, modernized it, conceptualized it, and then adapted it um to to sort of tell a version of that story um to a modern uh, western audience um and just sort of share like you know the challenges of, of being a woman for this character uh, was just awesome um but i don't think it's as awesome as power of the dog which is my pick for the winner mm -hmm. and i knew that you that you really liked that movie and um in a previous episode we talked about how i tried to watch power of the dog two different times and i just couldn't get into it you know and I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? I mean, you you kind of have some insight about what movies I like and what movies I don't like. What do you think it was? Because I, I, I know that there's other people that don't like Power of the Dog. It's just, it's kind of different. What is it that's different about it that makes some people love it and some people not like it? Well, glad you asked. I actually was save, uh, saving this uh, for later on in the episode, but um, I'll, uh, I can share it now. 
Um, but I was thinking, so in that episode where we did like best, oh, net the Netflix uh, December movies, we talked about Power of the Dog and Lost Daughter. And I think I said something like Lost, Hour, Lost Daughter is um, a mov- sad movie about being a woman um, and Power of the Dog is a sad movie about being a man. And, um, and as I was thinking about it um, and like doing research for this episode, um, I didn't. I didn't know that um, the power of the dog was written and directed by Jane Campion, who's a woman. And, um, and I was like, that is so weird that she, <laughs> that she, um, you know, that she wrote, wrote this movie and, and directed this movie. Um, and then I was thinking about it and I was like, well, maybe it's not really, maybe it's not really a movie about being a man. Maybe it's a, a movie about um, what I think is more accurate to say is that it's, a movie about masculinity as told from a woman's perspective. And because in the, in that movie, really the central character is Kirsten Dunst. And then all of the conflict and everything that's happening is really centered around how all these men are interacting with her. So like Benedict Cumberbatch's character is a bully and her husband abandons her and her new husband wants to take care of her, but he doesn't know how. And then ultimately her son you know, rises up and protects her and, uh, gives her, you know, gives her what she needs. And, um, and so I think, you know, by that, when I thought about it like that, I was like, maybe that's why (laughs) it like, like I really liked it. And, um, because it kind of has, it it captures that perspective. And I know that's like tons of overgeneralizations are included in what I just said. Um, but, um, but if you take it as, you know, you know, that movie represents, you know, a female's perspective of what masculinity is and what it should be um, in light of like our, I think in light of our culture right now and all the conversations we're having about like equality and equal pay for women and, you know, how to deal with misogyny and living in the post me too world. Um, I think understanding better um, like the ge- very general, uh, female take on what masculinity is um, and what it could be or should be. Um, I feel like that resonates with a lot of people. And I know it, res- it resonated with me um, as being a woman. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what I came up with. <laughs> okay. Okay. What, what, so, what do you think about that? Well, I'm kind of wondering, I'm wondering if, so at first I was kind of thinking, um, are in that movie where they kind of, because to hear that, it makes me feel like that there's kind of some some bashing of of men, right? Does that mean that one out of four men is good, or or does it mean that you know what was it that was taught to the son that made the difference, that made him be the man that any man was supposed mm-hmm. to be? What happened in his life? Uh, who taught him how to be a man? Does it go into that? Wow. Well. Well, now I'm thinking out loud. I don't have anything prepared for this. Um, okay. <laughs> well, but I, but I will. What so like his? Um, I will say that that character, the son, he also, you know, was was treated badly in the same in the same ways. So like okay. Benedict Cumberbatch's character bullies him. His mm-hmm. his dad abandoned him too. His new stepdad doesn't know how to be a, a good stepdad to him too. So it's not just it's not just. Um, you know, his mom isn't the only one who's sort of bearing the brunt of these um, interactions. 
Um, like, so I think he's kind of learning, you know, as he's growing up, like, you know, what kind of person am I going to be? And then I guess in this specific context of what kind of man am I going to be? And, Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't show him necessarily as having a good role model, but it does sort of, it's, you know, he says, this is how I was treated and this is not how I'm going to, this is not how I'm going to treat other people. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me, um, a long time ago, um, I went to a thing called Men's Fraternity. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. It, through, through the church? And so a long time ago, um, I was going to a church and I went to, it was called Men's Fraternity. And we went to, it took place in Memphis, Tennessee at the Pyramid, back before the Pyramid was a best pro shop. The Pyramid, this huge pyramid, I don't know if you've seen it before, if you've been there, but it used to be a place mm-hmm. where they would have music, concerts, everything like that. Um, but one thing that I learned about uh, what they taught us there that, that I'll never forget about being a man is that when uh, they, they gave the illustration that if you go into a grocery store and you buy um, a banana, right? Mm-hmm. You can look at the outside of that banana and you can, you know, you can tell if it looks like it's going to be a good banana. You know, and then, but, but if you get it home and you open it up and it's a bad banana, then you've been you've been fooled the whole time. So the the, the concept was be the same person on the outside that you are on the inside. Mm. You know, if you illustrate on the outside that you're a good person, be a good person on the inside as well. And so it was just like it was just like wow, it really it really made me made me think about you know. Um, it's a great illustration, you know, because you yeah. have these, when you're going in there, you have these expectations that this is the way it's going to be. And then you find out later that it's not, but it is interesting. Boy, I think we could do an analysis on that one um, because I wonder if, okay, so she was the, she was the writer and the director or she was just the director. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was the writer and the director. I wonder if something happened in her life that caused her to feel this way towards men. You know, to to create a story about uh, three guys that have all of these things wrong with them, and then have one that uh, that has a good soul. You know, but anyway, yeah, uh, that's probably for another Maybe. discussion. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it it also it also is. I mean, it's not an original. You know, it's an adapted screenplay. So there there is okay. actually, I think it's based on a novel. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Excellent. And what what's the next one that we want to move to? Next up, best original screenplay. Okay. And the nominees are Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, and The Worst Person in the World. Okay. And do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So my pick is Belfast. Um, Belfast is historical fiction, semi-autobiographical, um, written by written by uh, Kenneth Branagh and directed by movies directed by him as well. Um, and you know how much I love biopics, so this is kind of <laughs> like a biopic, not exactly. Um, uh, but I feel like there is just something about taking a real life story um, and then um, trying to make sense out of that that really appeals to us. I think, you know, that's why I like biopics. Um, 
So Branagh takes the uh, story of his own personal experience, his family struggles, literally um, <laughs> trying to grow up in the middle of a, of a blossoming war zone. Um, and he turns that into a story of hope. And I feel like with everything that is happening in the world right now and has been happening, um, I feel like that is a story that we need to see, but then also a story that we as people need to learn how to tell. And so I hope that this movie is celebrated for that. All right, very cool. I know a lot of people uh, that we work with um, are, uh, you know, they were really excited to see Belfast. Um, I, I still haven't seen it, you know. Um, I, I definitely need to watch it, you know. I need to make time to do that. Um, my my actual my actual choice on that um, for the best original screenplay, um, and I, you know, when I think about that, I think about strong openings mean strong screenplays and to do this right you have to set the time and pace and sum up the story through a clear and strong statement of theme the opening page of an action movie might have three or four short scenes but a romantic comedy might have an opening scene lasting several pages and there are five elements that make up a great story character want and need plot structure and conflict and resolution. And so my favorite for this year's best original screenplay, screenplay award is Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. And the reason I feel this way is because the theme in the movie deals with a youthful entrepreneur. And I think this goes back to uh, my youth <laughs> and kind of my dream. And that's why it kind of appeals to me. Uh, but in the film, Gary is a go-getter entrepreneur he seems to dream and scheme as uh, second nature, likely because he starts his young life as an actor or maybe simply because he is such a native L.A. creature. And L.A. so greatly embodies the American dream. And if you can make something seem cool in L.A., you can make it seem cool anywhere. And Gary seems to have an incredible knack for finding the next cool thing, whether it be waterbeds or pinball machines. And it is so cool to watch the validity of the 1970s through the soul of a young man who seems determined to make a go of whatever he pleases, convinced it will still all just work out for him. And the extra beauty is that it probably will. Now, this film currently has uh, 17 to 5 odds to win and is the top choice to win the major award. This movie has received 35 wins throughout the 2022 award season, including Best Screenplay by the New York Film Critics Circle. If it was to win, Licorice Pizza would prove Anderson's first win for Best Original Screenplay. It is his fifth nomination in a screenplay category, with others being Boogie Nights, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, and Inherit Vice. Mm. So that's kind of what my, my thoughts are on that one. Do you know what licorice pizza means? No, what does it mean? Um, I had to look this up because I was curious because they never actually say licorice pizza in the film. Uh, licorice pizza is a slang term for a record. Um, so it's like black like licorice and then it's about the size of a pizza. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, that's sort of like capturing the vibe of... of uh, the movie's trying to display and then um there was actually i don't think it's there anymore but there was a, a record store called licorice pizza 
in that neighborhood in LA where the movie is set. And so it's kind of like trying to capture the spirit of that that time, you know, of oh, okay. running around in LA in your bathing suit and sandals and shopping for records and listening to music and having a good time. Yeah. Fun, fun times. Absolutely. Um, Brent. Okay. Listen, I like licorice pizza. I like Paul Thomas Anderson, but this movie is about a 15 year old and a 25 year old (laughs) getting together. (laughs) I what's up with that? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, um, if, if, if it was a 45 year old with a 35 year old, would it be, would it be looked at that way? No, because that would be legal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had a hard time with that aspect of it. I'll right. say that. But other yeah. than that, excellent. Excellent movie. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think about that because um, I am, uh, for example, so I'm seven years older than my wife, you know. But when you think about that, if you if you look back to... If I was 22 and 15 and she was 15, that is that is really weird and that is wrong, right? <laughs> but if I was 30 and she was 23, would it be so weird? No, it would be fine. Yeah. So as long as the person is, what, over 18? Yeah, I looked it, it up. Be, the age, of, con- the age of consent in California is no, is 18, hard stop. Right. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I sh- I did struggle, and then I was like, if this movie was about a twenty five year old man and a fifteen year old girl, no way, done. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, so anyway, all that to say, I struggled with that aspect of it, but there was no sexual content, and you know, it's about it's a coming of age story, which I love those types of stories too. Um. So that was my only that was my only hiccup with this movie, and it was a big hiccup, but um. You know, otherwise, excellent. All right, I can understand that. Yeah, that is that is, that is a that is a tough one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Next category is best actress, and the nominees are Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman, and Kristen Stewart. Um. Shall I go first? Sure. All right. Well, here we are. I called it back on the very first episode of Pitching Popcorn, Christmas episode. Kristen Stewart nominated Best Actor, Actress um, for her role in Spencer. And I think she's going to win. I think she's a phenomenal actress. And um, this role is amazing for her. I still get chills when I think about her in the scene where she chews up a bunch of pearls um that she are in her soup that she's eating um i think yeah i think it's her time uh and i think it's gonna level level her up in her career and i hope that it just propels her into um so many more uh, roles because i think she has so much potential as a phenomenal actress um i will i will say there's a lot of buzz about jessica chastain who i also love um <laughs> but and sometimes i think people get uh oscars because um, not necessarily for the specific role, but more for their body of work. Like they're an a- amazing actor and they're due for an award. 
Like, I think that happened to Leonardo DiCaprio um, a couple of years ago. I can't even remember the name of the movie he won an Oscar for. Um, so that I think there's potential for that to happen to Jessica Chastain, but I want it to be Kristen Stewart, and she's my pick. Yeah. You know, I have I have a hard time with Kristen Stewart. I I I still see the same character in every movie that I see her in. I see the same Which... facial expressions. You know what I mean? Oh. And yeah. and so it's kind of like, does she really have? <laughs> is she just being herself? <laughs> yeah, is she really just being herself, right? And so yeah. I mean, I I wanted to I wanted to see her with a kind of some different characteristics and I tried to see her with different characteristics, but I just can't see it. I just, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it just looks like the same, whatever her facial expressions are. I don't know. I don't remember, but it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it, she's got a British accent this time. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. That's right. Yes. So true. Well, so I have to, um, I have to disagree on that. Um, now, my pick for Best Actress um, is Nicole Kidman. And so I think Nicole Kidman is on the brink of making Oscar history 19 years after winning Best Actress for her turn as famed writer Virginia Woolf in The Hours. The actress could win her second Oscar for playing another feminist icon, Lucille Ball, in Being the Ricardos. In doing so, she would become the 15th person to win multiple actress Oscars, joining an illustrious group that includes Katherine Hepburn, Meryl Streep, Betty Davis, and Frances McDormand. Mm -hmm. But she would also become a trailblazer in her own right if she wins for this special role. Should Kidman win for playing ball, she would be the first woman in Academy history to secure two Oscars for playing real people. Every instance of women collecting two or more Oscars in the acting categories includes at least one performance as a fictional character. Overall, Kidman would become the fourth actor of any gender to win for multiple biopics. That she was able to exceed expectations shouldn't be a surprise to longtime fans, but it is possible that some of the skeptics were indeed swayed by Kidman's commitment to the part, which she claims is the hardest role she's ever taken on. With Kidman thriving at this stage in her career, bouncing back and forth between films like Being the Cardos, Bombshell, and Destroyer, and TV series like Big Little Lies, Nine Perfect Strangers, and The Undoing, voters may not only want to reward her for her turn as ball, but for her collective efforts in recent years. Mm. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think Is it, it possible? Happen. It's yeah. certainly possible. I, I would I wouldn't be mad if she won, especially for that role. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I mean she's done some amazing stuff lately. Yeah. She's a phenomenal actor and yeah. Can't believe twenty years ago she won she won for Virginia Woolf. Yeah. All right. What are we what are we looking at next? Next up is Best Actor. And okay. the nominees are Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, Will Smith, and Denzel Washington. Okay. Um my I'll say my pick. Um 
Well, hold on. Um, I haven't gotten to talk about the tragedy of Macbeth yet, which I did watch last weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say everyone should give that a shot, especially if you like Shakespeare. Um, I had a, I don't really like Shakespeare, but <laughs> um, I really wanted to see the movie because it was so um, so unique. And um, if you're interested in different types of uh, film and ways of storytelling in film, um, it was pretty cool to see um, just the art direction and the lighting and um, even casting choice of Denzel Washington from Macbeth never would have occurred to me, but he's amazing in it. Um, so I don't think he's going to win. I just want to plug that movie. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, we talked about, you You know, my feelings about Will Smith. Um, he did good in King Richard. I think he has gotten the accolades that he needs <laughs> for this role. Um, and I think that, uh, I do think that Benedict Cumberbatch is probably going to win for power of the dog. Um, I think he does a good job of um, playing playing this specific character um, just in light of all the things that you as an audience member know are going on beneath the surface um, that are sort of, you know, complicating um, who he is and how he interacts with others and how he interacts with the world. Um, he also, I think, is someone who um, he's never won an Oscar before. He has a very um, robust body of work. I think it could be that he gets rewarded uh, for this role, uh, for all of the work that he's done previously, not just for this role. So I think that um, is has potential. Um, yeah, I think I think he's the pick. I I kind of hope he's not, <laughs> because I just I just don't know. I just couldn't stand I couldn't stand that movie. <laughs> but but he, I know but he, I, when I was watching that movie, I would like get scared when he would come on screen like I would get like tense and I felt like that is that's like he's acting (laughs) yeah yeah well I know that um you know that's probably the majority vote right I know it probably is um I I actually have to go because I I am I was just amazed with uh with Javier Bardem um, he's earned his fourth career SAG Award nomination for portraying TV icon Desi Arnaz in Being the Ricardos. Bardeen is already a two-time SAG Award winner thanks to No Country for Old Men. He picked up a second supporting actor nomination for playing another villain in the James Bond film Skyfall. Bardem has one major factor in his corner, which could point to a surprise win. He plays a real-life figure. SAG voters have overwhelmingly preferred to give their lead actor prize to performers who play real people. Since 2010, voters rewarded Colin Firth, The King's Speech, as King George VI, Daniel Day-Lewis, Lincoln, as Abraham Lincoln, Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club, as Ron Woodruff, Eddie Redmayne, The Theory of Everything, as Stephen Hawking, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Revenant, as Hugh Glass, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, and Winston Churchill, and uh, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, as Freddie Mercury. While Smith and Garfield also portray real figures, Bardeen's situation is unique because I Love Lucy is one of the most well-known and beloved television series of all time. Multiple generations of people have welcomed Ricky Ricardo into their homes over the years, taking delight in the sitcom's simple charms and hijinks. This isn't just any 
biographical role. Viewers press play on being the Ricardos primed to enjoy Bardem's performance. The actor expertly captures the charm which overflowed from Desi Arnaz. His irresistible grin and arresting energy makes viewers fall for him the same way he made Ball fall for him. This is part of what makes the revelation of Arnez's infidelity so crushing and such a perfect emotional beat of the movie. The facade of the sitcom comes crashing down even though the audience yearns for Lucy and Ricky to make it work. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about the, the character that he played in uh, No Country for Old Men, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the villain, and then to be able to do this. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing, right? Yeah, he's a good actor. I mean, that's... I'm, su I'm surprised by this by uh, this pick. I thought for sure you're going to pick Will Smith, but um... I knew you were going to think I was going <laughs> to pick Will Smith. But you know, um, you're right. I like you're right. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right. You're right about Will Smith. You know, um, I think you know back when we were talking about uh, King Richard, um, it it had an emotional impact on me just because of the storyline. You know, mm -hmm. but. But what you're saying is completely true. Um, I mean, you he's know. been very well celebrated for his good yes, job that he yes. did in this movie. I'm right, not saying right. he's going to do a good job. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's an interesting choice. I think I would be happy um, for sure if uh, uh, Bardem won. Um, it'd be cool if if uh, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem won. That that'd would be, be awesome. That, it'd be it? another another movie that has uh, best actor and best actor win. Yeah. Best actor and best actress. That would be really cool. All right. What's up next? Next up is best director. And the best nominees are director. Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Ray Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. And Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Um. I'll go. You want to go first? first? Okay. Sure. Um, well, I think something interesting to note about all of these, well, for a quite a few of these. So for Belfast, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, and Power of the Dog, um, same writer-director. And like I said earlier, I feel like whenever that happens, it's just like a labor of love for <laughs> for the writer-director. Um, so, and. And I, I and I think all of these movies have a level of emotion um, and an investment to them um, that I think is is unique. Um, so I definitely think definitely think one of those three is going to win for best director. Um, and I know that's my own bias here, um, but um, my pick um, is uh, Jane Campion. I do think that Power of the Dog is going to have a strong showing at the Oscars. Um, she's also um, she's the first woman to be nominated more than once for best director. Um, so I think not that that gives her an edge actually probably doesn't, but, <laughs> um, just think it's interesting to note. Um, and yeah, I think there's, I don't know, this movie could have gone, uh, that movie could have gone so many different ways. And I think that like, you know, uh, I know you don't like it, <laughs> but there's a very specific like tone, um, and beauty and, sadness and cadence to the movie and i think that she is responsible for a lot of that and um so and i think the way that she that it all came together um is just like you know a credit to her, her vision so i think that that i think that that will be rewarded 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I, I think that is the, the popular vote, um, but I have to go with a different choice. And your choice, Brent? my choice is best director, Steven Spielberg, arguably the most famous and respected filmmaker in cinema history, made Oscar history with his latest nomination for West Side Story. He's the first person nominated for directing in six different decades surpassing mm. another living legend, Martin Scorsese, who's been nominated across five, with two wins for Schindler's List 1993 and Saving Private Ryan 1998, and five additional nominations for Close Encounters of the Third Kind 1978, Raiders of the Lost Ark 1981, E.T. the Extraterrestrial 1982, Munich 2005 and Lincoln 2012. Spielberg is now tied as the third most nominated director with eight alongside Billy Wilder. He's one behind Scorsese and four behind William Wyler. What more can be said about one of the most honored American filmmakers? Spielberg comes to this year's Oscar race with 17 previous nominations, including directing bids in each of the past six decades, as well as the prestigious Irving G. Thalberg Award, which he received almost 35 years ago. What separates West Side Story from his numerous previous nominations as a director is that it's a lifelong passion project and his very first musical. Many of the dance numbers beautifully choreographed by Justin Peck in West Side Story are as technically impressive as the Normandy invasion in Saving Private Ryan. Now, I've got some fun facts real quick about Steven Spielberg. Mm. Spielberg made his first home movie at 12 years old, capturing a toy train wreck. He won his first award in a statewide competition at 13 years old with a 40-minute war film called Escape to Nowhere that starred his classmates. Spielberg enjoyed making eight millimeter adventure films throughout his childhood and in high school. In fact, listen to this letter that I found. Dear Mr. Steven Spielberg, your letter to Mr. Don Devlin dated May 21st, 1965 was forwarded to my attention. It is unlikely that there will be opportunities for summer employment on the lot at the present time. And I'm extremely uh, loath to ask anyone to come down from Saratoga to interview on what is at best a remote possibility. However, I would be interested as to the nature of your activities at Universal in 1964 that you mentioned in your letter, i.e. which executives and producers you met, the extent of your involvement, who sponsored your being a guest on the lot, what arrangement, if any, was involved, Further, I would be happy to arrange a screening of one of your films you mentioned. If one or more have already been screened on the lot, please advise me who arranged the screening. If you are down here, I would, of course, be glad to speak to you. Very truly yours, Paul Miller. And here is an interesting fact about Spielberg. Spielberg snuck onto the Universal Studio lot before they hired him to, to direct any projects. He was attending high school in Arizona, but he was in Los Angeles visiting his cousins. He took a tour and took advantage of the midday bathroom break. 
He got right. off to go to the bathroom and he hid in the stall. He waited until everybody had left. He came out a half an hour later and he was free. He was on the Universal Studios lot. And nobody stopped Spielberg from walking around on the Universal Studios lot, but that proved to be a significant memory for the iconic film director. He met the film librarian, a man named, named Chuck Silvers, and he thought he had a lot of confidence and showed ambition. So uh, he gave Spielberg a three-day pass on his own name. He did that for three days, and then he took a shot that the maybe the guard would recognize him without having to show any papers. And on the fourth day, he walked onto the lot and waved at Scotty the guard. Scotty waved back, and he spent the next two and a half months on the lot five days a week until school began, and he had to go back to Phoenix. Boom. Wow. Boom. That's cool. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Passion from a young age. Yes, absolutely. All right. Very cool well, that he gets I've, to do that work for six decades. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, right? So. Interesting. You know. I, I'm surprised, but I mean, I'm good. It's a uh, good as pick as any. I'm just, I, I don't know what I expected you to pick, but I'm, I was surprised by that pick. <laughs> well, I remember back in college, I did a paper on Steven Spielberg and Akira Kurosawa. And, uh, and, and I remember uh, hearing about and, and, and learning about what, what he did uh you know on the universal lot and i thought man how amazing is that you know to be able to do what he did then and and to be where he is today just yeah phenomenal really cool, cool. all right well i can't believe that uh we've come to the end of this episode this wow. is it it seems this like it went so one. fast yeah <laughs> this is the big one the best picture and several nominees for this one, including Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and The Power the Power of the Dog, and of course, West Side Story. Mm -hmm. right. Yep. You want to go first? I I sure will. Um, okay. So, so uh, <laughs> the Power of the Dog won the Golden Globe for Best Picture, and that correlates to being an Oscar winner about 50% of the time. Um, but that is not my pick, um, because I think that what we need right now is something more uplifting. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a happier movie that wins. Um, West Side Story and Don't Look Up, I think both tried to kind of uh, have like a political angle uh, to the story. I think they missed the mark a little bit. Nightmare Alley and The Power of the Dog are very dreary. Um, it's sad. <laughs> uh, Dune is too sci-fi. King Richard, like I said, it's already gotten its due. Um, licorice Pizza, you know I have qualms about it. <laughs> um, so I think that by process of elimination, I think that's going to come down to Coda and Belfast. Um, two movies that I very much love and would be happy um, if either of them win. I do think Coda is a little uh, cutesy. Um, like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I do love it. Um, but uh, there are, are a couple things, um, you know, a, co a couple things I just felt were like a little bit too um, on the nose. Um, and so I think that 
I think that Belfast is going to be ultimately the winner here. Um, like I said, it's a love letter uh, from Kenneth Branagh uh, to um, to his family and his childhood home. Um, and I think, I think, and I hope that um, the Academy rewards um, storytelling like this um, and and stories of hope that are uplifting. So I hope I think that Belfast is going to win. I wouldn't be mad if Coda won, but but Belfast is my pick. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, my my pick. Um, I just can't. I just can't get over how awesome I felt while watching this movie and the emotional impact that it had on me. And so, of course, my my pick for best picture is Coda. The title of Coda stands for Children of Deaf Adults, a phrase that describes too many families to count. Coda, among other things, is a wrenching domestic drama that captures the experience of deafness as a new normal. And that's part of its beauty and its meaning. Yet it also achieves that meaning in a way that transcends categories. It's a universal child growing up and leaving the nest weeper that opens the hearts and minds of its audience to different levels of experience. When CODA came into the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, it was just another little movie that could. But Apple TV Plus bought it from uh, Pathé International for $25 million with an understanding of the rich chord the movie would strike. And believe it or not, after more than 30 years of the contemporary indie film movement, CODA, were it to win Best Picture, would be the first Sundance movie ever to do so. CODA mm. could slide into the key challenger slot because it delivers the total emotional knockout punch that Belfast and West Side Story do not. The Power of the Dog, by contrast, is a movie it's hard not to be impressed by, but also one that doesn't exactly wrench the soul. It's darkly exacting and a touch remote. So this is why I think that Coda is going to take the win on this one. Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess we will. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know... I feel like if a Sundance movie wins for the first time, that would really um, that would really open up uh, for a lot more a lot more of those indie movies to be made. That would be awesome. That would be, yeah. I was reading uh, that uh, usually whatever movie wins Best Picture, they get an average boost of ten million dollars in sales um, at the box office after their movie wins. So okay. if if Coda were to pull in that addition, well. That'd be good for Apple. Ugh, I don't yeah, know that would be. Have have. Yeah. <laughs> Apple has enough millions of dollars. Um, but <laughs> anyway, that would be that would be awesome just for the indie film um, industry. So I would be happy about that. Yeah. Well, man, what an amazing well, episode. We really put some butter on it this time, didn't we? We're going to have to tally up the votes and see uh, see who wins on Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And then what is there a prize for seeing who wins or do you get to um, do the podcast all by yourself or, or do you want to you can give me twenty dollars when i win 20 bucks oh you think you're gonna win. <laughs> oh okay all right <laughs> um all right 
I, I like we can play for bragging bragging rights. That's good. There we go. There we go. <laughs> maybe we can pick um, the next couple of selections for the. Maybe yeah. we can pick the next three episodes. Deal. Maybe that would work. Deal. Okay. Cool. All right. This is cool. fun. This is cool. I like mixing up the the a different format than we've done before. So I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Oh yeah. I mean, I think this one. I think I worked the hardest on this one. You know, this one. Yeah. This one took a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know time and and uh but man i mean you know what an amazing what an amazing episode and it's so cool to to kind of to to not know um what what your picks are and then kind of be able to see and understand why you you pick that you know yeah and uh cool. so cool all right yeah well thank yeah no a, a lot of work for both of us um thanks for thanks for all that um and i you actually picked the content for the next episode. Do you want to give, yeah. give everybody a sneak peek about what's so, coming next? Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, it, it, um, it kind of, uh, you know, I think what, um, what kind of got me interested in this was um, it was our last episode when you did the departed and you talked about how it was a, a remake or a redo or a reboot. And then I started looking up, and and then they've got a different definition for what is a reboot and what is a remake and i was yeah. like oh my gosh and so um but there are so many different movies uh out there that have different versions of of uh the original and um and i think it's going to be a fun episode where each of us get to um watch the original and watch the remake and and pick which one we think was the better of the two right Mm -hmm. So how cool, how exciting is that going to be? That'll yeah, be a lot I of fun. Wait. Yeah, and I've I've still got to narrow down my search. Um, man, there's some there's some amazing stuff. When I when I was doing some research on it and and seeing what all the choices were, I'm going to have a hard time choosing. But I understand you've already <laughs> made your choice, though. And you well, you it's have not a... it's not set in stone yet, but uh -oh. it's, it's written in pencil. But... <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. But I feel pretty I surprise. feel pretty confident pretty calm, okay yeah okay yeah well um i'm excited i uh can i share some of the uh the ideas yeah uh, without without giving away anything um mm -hmm. some of the some of the ones that uh that i think would be uh would be good would be um oceans 11 uh nosferatu scarface heat of course the departed uh the wizard of oz airplane mad max and the parent trap so these are um all mm. movies where they had a remake or a reboot or a whatever you want to call it <laughs> but uh they, it's just it's just amazing to to think you know um about some of the differences between these these uh, movies and and so um i have an idea of what you're going to do and i think that's an awesome choice that's uh, definitely one of my favorites all right Anything else we want to have for our viewers out there? Hey, thanks for listening, and uh, hope you guys enjoy the Oscars on Sunday. All right. Everybody have fun. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have fun, and we'll see you next time on Pitching Popcorn. All right. Thanks, Brent. See ya. Okay.